Welcome to episode five of the Storm Clouds of Dementia. So we are so excited today because we have Jan Doherty with us as our guest. Now, Jan is an RN and fellow of the American Academy of Nursing, and she's a nurse leader, innovator, and noted dementia care expert. Basically, over the last three decades of clinical and leadership experience, she has been a pioneer advancing care for people living with Alzheimer's disease and related dementia and helping their family caregivers as well. So we're so happy because Jan's won awards based on her leadership, her community service and program innovations. And one of her favorite things though, is to talk about people living well with dementia. And she uses that knowledge of dementia uh, and her love of travel to educate, guide, and support meaningful travel for those with dementia. So Jan's book, so everybody write this down, is Travel Well with Dementia, Essential Tips to Enjoying the Journey. So Jan, welcome. Thank you so much for, for being on our podcast today. Well, welcome, Jan. Yeah, thank you, Pam and Tammy, for having me. You're most welcome. So let's dive in. Why write a book about travel and dementia? Well, you know, as you just heard, I have spent the bulk of my professional career working with people who are affected by Alzheimer's disease and related dementias and their family members from the time of diagnosis until really the time of death. And uh, there is a theme that crosses this and that I feel as professionals in this field that we need to address is how do we help individuals to stay connected? In fact, when I worked for the Banner Alzheimer's Institute and their, their memory disorders clinic, and we were diagnosing people earlier and earlier, and that, that continues to be the goal. And we would sit down with them after a diagnosis and really begin to process through one of the common themes that came through when we'd say, what's important to you? was, um, you know, I, I want to make this trip. We've dreamed about this forever. We've never done it. Uh, or people, even as they're progressing through the illness, the family want to stay connected. They want to enjoy graduations and weddings and, you know, all kinds of celebratory things, as well as enjoying families coming to visit them. But what uh, often I would hear about were uh, trips run amok, <laughs> family visits that were disastrous and created greater stress, anxiety, and even family division and riff. And um, that caused me a great deal of distress, I had to say, because I think relationships are at the end of the day what uh, makes living well for all mm -hmm. of us, um, even with dementia. And so I had this desire to write this book so that I could encourage people living with early stages of dementia and uh, family caregivers to think about how they could better plan and execute travel and staying connected with family and friends over the course of the disease. Because they're, you know, in a disease state that's going to run eight to 10 years uh, early in the disease, you've got often a good one to three years to mm -hmm. a bit more of the demanding travel, if you will. And then as the disease progresses, you know, people need guidance on 
how to make those connections is the travel shifts from kind of being the bucket list sort of travel to the how do we go back and visit family or let them come visit us and have reasonable expectations and how this is going to work. And so my book really addresses all of those things. It's the first book really in the marketplace to comprehensively look at how Alzheimer's disease related dementias affect travel and how families and persons living with dementia can better prepare and make that happen and find success. As well as what do we do when people can no longer uh, travel effectively? How do we plan for that and how do caregivers, care partners give themselves permission for themselves to travel and still celebrate uh, these milestone events, which I think we all long for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jan, you talked a little bit about planning. Why is this so important? Well, uh, any of my fellow um, travelers who love to get out there and explore the world or even enjoy a visit uh, with family and friends know that uh, the planning really is what can make the difference in making a good trip, a great trip, or likewise, making a good visit, a great visit. And the reality is that when people develop these memory and thinking problems based on the form of dementia they have, it it is going to change the nature of travel or change the nature of visits. And so the more that families and people living with early stage disease are engaged in this and, and aware of it, you know, they can plan for um, how are we going to manage fatigue, right? We all get tired during travel, except now that when my mom gets fatigued, um, she gets really irritable. She starts (laughs) speaking out of turn. (laughs) Or um, how do I manage um, the change that's going to happen in our routine? Because my, uh, my, brother and sister-in-law insisted that we stay with them. And yet my husband really needs his routine in order to live his best. Or what am I going to do when he wakes up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom? And now this environment is completely different. Um, Will he have an incontinence episode? Or how do I manage the grandchildren who are going to come and visit us I love them, but they're so noisy. Mm. And um, my wife is likely to correct them and create strife (laughs) with my daughter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, right, those become crucial issues in the planning process that often care partners aren't necessarily thinking about, or they often think, um, well, my kids should get it, but they don't (laughs) because they're not living with our situation. And, you know, after all, I I don't want to downplay my husband's ability because I don't want them to think less of their dad or think I'm speaking poorly of him. So oftentimes the kids are completely blindsided with what they see. And then we go back to our usual behaviors. And so there's this need to really have kind of um, a lot of thought into where are we going? How long are we going to stay? Is this going to be a good fit for where we stay? How do I prepare my family and my friends um, 
to really help execute what I hope will be a wonderful visit for all of us and will they support me. So I created a pretty comprehensive planning tool on my website. So I'd invite people to go visit it. And my, my company name is called Travels. So T-R-A-V-A-L-Z. So kind of a play on traveling with Alzheimer's. But my website is T-R-A-V as in Victor with a dash A-L-Z.com. And under my resources, you'll see some tools that I've created. And one is a planning tool that is really quite uh, comprehensive to look at um, the questions that families should be considering at least three to six months before the travel or the visit um, is going to take place. You know, again, living in a Sunbelt state, of course, we know that we've got a lot of folks that come to Arizona to retire, to enjoy the good weather. And in my experience, many of these folks, as they develop a, a, a dementia like Alzheimer's will make Arizona their home base. So of course, the kids in Wisconsin are anxious to come out and visit in the winter, but I've had so many people ask me, um, Jan, you know, how do I help my family understand I love them, but they can't stay with us or they come and they expect me to still make the meals. And, you know, I'm up to my, up to my eyeballs and trying to manage the day to day with my husband. And so this planning tool kind of takes on that as well. So looking at both plan travel beyond the home and planned visits where people are going to come and see you because uh, boy the planning is going to make all the difference uh, in how successful that visit or that trip will turn out to be. Exactly and Jan you, you had said something about the planning it kind of just takes me back to you know it's almost planning planning like a trip with with your kids right it's, it's the same thing. You have to plan three to six months in advance. I had a client who I was dealing with the same situation and they were in crisis mode. So we had two days to plan and it was not going well at all. So I'm, I'm very thankful for a resource like yours that I can send the families that we work with to help them plan ahead of time so we don't have crisis because it was a disaster. It can be a disaster. Right. And, you know, even that can be helpful is planning for, I always say you need to have a plan B, C, D. Yes. <laughs> because yes. as we know, you know, this condition can throw some, um, some curveballs that we didn't even plan for. You know, we've, we've had somebody who is delightful and generally easy going in the day to day, but now something unexpected rises like a urinary tract infection, right? Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, mm -hmm. Mom wakes up uh, one morning and she's delirious and seeing things that aren't there. And so this whole idea of how do we think through what are the things that might happen and then how do I prepare? So the reality is a lot of the things that become crisis are what uh, the main family caregiver is seeing in the day to day. And so if we know, for example, um, you know, we're, we're visiting family and now, uh, you know, my husband who tends to, you know, we use the word sundowning right in our mm -hmm. profession to kind of indicate this person grows a little more anxious and even kind of physically restless or agitated in the late afternoon. How do I communicate that ahead of time to my adult children. So when they see this, they're not scolding my husband, their dad, but rather 
I've already kind of given them a heads up. Here's what happens. And I say to my son, hey, you know, when this happens, why don't you have dad come out in the garage with you and ask him to help you to kind of look at the engine on your car because he was kind of a a car aficionado before this uh, happened. And, you know, just keep dad nicely engaged and we're going to see that this will pass. Versus if I don't do that, the same thing's going to happen. And now my son is going to start scolding or trying to correct his dad and adding to the strife, right? So now we have created a crisis. So again, when we know that there is a tendency for some of these, what I call behavioral expressions to pop up, the more we think about how we factor that in, uh, the better off it's going to be. Likewise, maybe you're deciding to do a, a, a trip, and you go on a plan trip with what you think is largely a senior group. And how am I going to manage that same sort of behavioral expression with my passengers, right? My co-passengers. And what can I do? So the more I think ahead, the more effective I'm going to be at problem solving. And more importantly, the more support I'm going to have from others because I'm going to let them help me. That's a big one. I mean, that ultimately becomes... Uh, the the you're not the martyr syndrome this is not a place for it and making sure that you educate everyone in advance and that everyone is um, understanding of the situation making sure that you check in with the travel company and let them know because then the guide can kind of help you out so so let's talk a bit about air travel because I can't imagine my mom on an airplane uh, when she had her 14-year journey with Alzheimer's. So, uh, you know, what are the important things to know about air travel and security and TSA checks, that whole experience? I mean, I'm stressed about it when I go. I can't imagine what it's like if you have early-stage dementia. Yeah, in fact, thank you for asking that question. You know, we're seeing air travel tick back up, and I think, uh, you know, older adults are longing to see their kids and grandkids again. And now with vaccines, we're going to see more people get back on airplanes. And I think, especially when you're traveling with a person living with dementia, boy, you need some added guidance. In fact, I just wrote this month's blog looking specifically at air travel and, navig and navigating the airports. You know, there was a study done in Australia um, with people living with dementia and their care partners. And these are folks with early stage disease. And they said, by far navigating the airport and security was by far the most stressful part of the travel experience. So let's kind of look at the airports and talk about some of the good things that are happening and the opportunities uh, that families can have. First of all, airports are busy, they are packed to the gills and they are not designed for people who have trouble dealing with high levels of stimuli. Mm -hmm. and, and there's mm -hmm. a, and, you know, there's a focus now um, that I love on people with hidden disabilities, right? So dementia is a hidden disability. I mean, you look at the person and they look completely fine. Uh, or likewise, it could be a, a child or even an adult who has autism or a person with a hearing disability, right? It's not readily uh, evident to many people. And they come into these fast-paced environments that are loud, that are poorly marked, that create a lot of misinterpretation, and it just adds a lot of stress. So 
one of the things, let's just start with airlines. So um, first of all, I recommend that caregivers book directly with the airline. So forget the online portals. They are not helpful when you're looking for accessible travel. <laughs> so that's the other is they use the word accessibility to really think about who are those people who need added access. Well, people living with dementia do. And the reason I say go to the airline directly is because we want uh, accommodations made for this individual, particularly if they're in the moderate stage, right? They're, they're, uh, there's greater confusion. There's more tendency maybe that the person could become anxious, uh, agitated during the flight. Um, we want that to be in the record so that the flight crew has information about that. Especially nowadays, people are impatient. They're just downright rude <laughs> to one another. I hate to be so negative, but that's the travel um, tenor, if you will, of, of the public. They're just not tolerant. And so if the flight crew has an understanding that there's a person on their flight who is prone to that, they're more likely to connect with the care partner right up front and identify themselves and say, please let us know how I can help you. The other thing is they'll, they'll set you up so that um, you have early boarding, right? Because you're a person who needs mm -hmm. additional time. Uh, they'll help you with uh, seating assignments so that ideally you're going to be closer to where a restroom can be. Uh, we want to ensure that the person living with dementia is seated at the window and not in the aisle. Again, we want to create uh, an atmosphere where people aren't crawling over that person. Again, the care partner will be in the center so that there's uh, better control, if you will, over the situation. That's more likely to happen if you call the airline directly than uh, if you try to do it online. I will tell you the online portals are not largely helpful for accessibility. The other thing I'm going to knock the airlines, except for Southwest uh, Airlines, they do not define cognitive disability in a way that people, um, even with a high school education or, or PhD, understand. Does that mean? Is that where I fall in? <laughs> they don't. Um, we're really good about talking about wheelchair accessibility, mobility, but not cognitive. And so I think working with directly with airlines uh, is best. The next is the airport. Airports um, are, are chaotic. They're often doing uh, work. For example, our own Phoenix Sky Harbor uh, did a lot of work on Terminal 3, as, as many people know, is completely different than what it was. So if you haven't been in there in the past, um, you'd want to check the website. So I say to my uh, clients that I work with, please go to the, the airport you're flying out of and you're into or making a transfer and just look at the map and the layout. And, and in particular, here are the things I want people to pay attention to. One is where the family restroom is. Because some of the, uh, the worst stories of people getting lost in airports or when the person living with dementia goes to use the restroom and the family member walks away or lets them go and thinks they're finding their way back to the gate, they don't. Or when the partner needs to use the restroom and says to their loved one, stay right here, I'll be out in a minute. Or they ask a fellow passenger, hey, would you tell my uh, husband to wait here for me? And um, he walks away right? And now gets lost. Mm -hmm. So family restrooms are a must, but here's the deal. 
Um, most of the family restrooms, there is one in a particular area, <laughs> and it's usually before security, not after. So it's important to locate that family restroom. The other is looking for where will be quiet space. So let's say you're flying um, to uh, another location and you can't get a nonstop flight. So you're now going to be grounded, for example, in Atlanta for two to three hours. Where could you go that would be less stimulating? So trying to identify, do they have a identified quiet spaces? And quite honestly, the focus of this has been for kids with autism, but I would say for adults living with dementia to try to take advantage of these quiet spaces as well becomes really important. Now, the next thing is we know security is, is stressful. So what most Americans don't know is that the TSA has a, a special program for people who need added time and assistance called TSA CARES. And um, there, if, if you just Google TSA CARES program, family members can immediately find uh, an email address or a phone number to call. And, and it's a good chunk of time. It's, it's about 12, 14 hours a day that there's someone that you can actually call. But they ask that you call 72 hours in advance to give them a heads up to say that, uh, you know, I'm flying with my, uh, with my husband. I could use some added assistance. He gets a little feisty. Um, he's likely to refuse using a wheelchair escort, uh, which I often recommend to try to assist with the TSA process. And in, in the situation where they have the TSA support, passenger support specialist, so these are officers, they can often meet you right at the airline check-in or they will meet you right at the TSA location. Now, this doesn't get you out of security checks, but rather they will accompany you through the process and provide a much slower pace by which this can happen. Hey, Jan. Yes. Um, you know, one thing, because we're running a little bit short on time, I want to make sure we get to this last question. Tammy, did you want to to bring that up? Yeah. Yeah. So just, just in, a, in a real brief, Jan, when should travel not occur? Is there certain times of the day, certain seasons? Uh, yes. So if you can just sum that up for us real sure, quick. Sure. And you can tell I love this subject. So <laughs> <laughs> yes. So travel, travel, uh, there are some, some indications when travel should not happen. And I talk about this more in depth in my book, but one is when there's severe confusion. So, you know, if you want somebody to travel and they're just highly confused, they, they're easily upset, they're not even going to know the relatives that you're planning to go see, um, they should not be uh, traveling along. You know, when you're seeing uh, what we call psychosis, so they're hallucinating or they believe things that are untrue or they're paranoid, um, travel will not go well. If this is a person who says, I want to go home every night mm -hmm. and they are home, uh, travel shouldn't be happening. If their yeah. mood is, is such that they're just easily upset, they become really restless or they're really rude, that's probably not going to work well. And for the caregiver, um, if they uh, aren't able to manage these situations, they can't adjust their expectations, they get upset with their loved one, they scold them, they insist on telling the truth, that's not going to go well. Or if you're going to go see family members and they're just not going to be supportive of what you need, 
that trip should just probably not happen. Right, right. Well, Jan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you all for listening. Jan, how can you be reached if our listeners have questions? Yes, I would love to hear from you. So you can email me at um, jdoherty, D-O-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y at T-R-A-V-A-L-Z.com. Uh, or you can reach out to me on my cell phone, 480-227-6150. And I hope you'll think about uh, purchasing this book to really give yourself a lot more added detail about how you can plan travel and uh, enjoy the journey. Awesome information, Jan. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Yes, thank you. And thank you all for listening. We will be doing episode number six with another special guest who will share with us why selecting a qualified referral specialist is so important. We'll see you soon.